The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Parisian locals have branded fans travelling to Emily in Paris filming locations as the invasion of morons. Graffiti has appeared at several filming spots used in the show saying, Emily not welcome and South Paris is not yours. But will Irish filming locations also face the same tourism exhaustion? Joining me now to talk about Paris is a Paris-based journalist Hannah Miltzer. Uh, the editor of Air and Travel magazine Own Curry is also joining us to talk about the broader issue of over for tourism. Uh, good morning and welcome to you both. Now, Hannah, first of all, uh, Paris has been the location for many movies over the years. What has changed with Emily in Paris? Good morning. Um, I, well, I think this comes at an interesting time um, for Paris because uh, it's the lead up to the Olymp- hosting the Olympic Games this year. So there's a kind of people have really got in mind that a lot of foreign tourists are going to be coming through. Um, and there's been quite a lot of uh, building works in the lead up to that. So tensions are sort of quite high in the city for that reason. So that could be one uh, contributor. And then I think probably it's also just the success of the show because it's been seen by so many millions of people. The the It's very visible um, <clears throat> when people are coming to the locations, they're coming in quite large number. So it becomes quite visible. Now, uh, the, the, the city of Paris looks absolutely beautiful in Emily in Paris, but it's a, it's a beautiful city anyway, as anyone mm. who's, who's been there to see it. Um, you know, some cities would be delighted that there's such a showcase for the, 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 the glory of their locations. Indeed, yeah. I mean, I think we have to make a bit of a distinction between the graffiti that you talk about, it's in the areas where the show is filmed and where a lot of the sort of Emily tourism um, has been concentrated. So I think there's a kind of local gripe um, coming from sort of local local shopkeepers who feel like, you know, their neighbourhood doesn't have the same atmosphere anymore. Um, and even, you know, some some of the shopkeepers on the square where Emily is meant to live um, have actually said that they, the crews do things like add fake lampposts and clean the streets and kind of paint the walls before they film. And so I think that's created a particular sort of cynicism um, and maybe this sort of anger in that area. Mm. Um, but saying that, I think we have to sort of make a distinction between that and the wider population and the wider city, because I think, you know, Parisians may grumble about the tourists, but it's also a huge industry. I mean, Paris is... Uh, one of the biggest tourist locations in the world. The industry is worth billions of dollars. So I think there is a kind of, um, yeah, it's a mixed relationship mm. because people might grumble, but they also know that it's a big part of the economy yeah. to, to And of course, tourists. in summer, when the locals, the Parisians themselves, evacuate and head to the coasts, mm. what keeps the economy going are the hundreds of thousands, the millions indeed of tourists who arrive in the French capital. Indeed, that's true. And, and I do think Parisians know that. Um, and yeah, no, perhaps not the whole population is quite as angry as those directly affected by the filming, I would say. Now, what is the behaviour of uh, the Emily in Paris fans? I mean, what do they do when they uh, suss out the locations where Emily lived and Emily worked? Yes, well, um, I actually walked to the the place, the square in the Latin Quarter recently, um, where Emily's apartment is meant to be. And actually, I spotted the fans immediately because they're in little groups. Um, they were quite young on the whole. Um, I must say most of them were probably women. Um, and they were wearing 
most of them red berets or stripy tops or the kind of clothes that people perceive to be very Parisian, but perhaps they're a bit stereotyped. Um, and I saw a lot of people taking selfies, talking quite loudly. Um, I mean, there are a lot of Americans, but there are people from all over. And I suppose I can understand if I were a local to that area that people might feel a bit put out because it was almost like the area was just a set dressing or a backdrop. And in fact, you know, it's a real place. Um, and I think Paris always struggles with that idea of being a real place and existing in so many people's imaginations. Yeah. Um, if you confine yourself to the uh, centre of Paris, whether you, you know, take the trip from the Arc de Triomphe down through the Champs-Élysées and across the river uh, to the left bank and along the Seine and maybe buy some secondhand books or a little Ooh. bit of vinyl in one of the stores or visit the Pantheon. I mean, that is uh, the Luxembourg Gardens. That's the magic of Paris. And uh, then on the other hand, you can go out to Stade de France and maybe in the banlieue find a very different kind of Paris. Indeed, no, that's right. Um, and I can tell from what you're saying that you, you've been to Paris yourself. <laughs> many, many. T- I got married in Paris as it happens. Did so you? There you are, yeah. Oh, wow. Wonderful. Well, no, that's quite right. And I think you're, you're really right to point out a contrast between central Paris, which is, you know, almost like a museum town, some say. Uh, it's not that nobody lives there, but fewer actual Parisians uh, really live there. And it's very clean, shiny and beautiful, undeniably gorgeous and every time I cross the set I think wow this is just like dreamland at the same time as you say when you get into the outer arrondissements that are typically more you know what the French call populaire working class is a different feel it's not as clean it's noisier and then when you get out to the suburbs um, like Saint-Denis um, there's a different feel again um, you know it starts to look more like a normal city not the same house manian architecture um, and so it's going to be very interesting because the Olympic Games this year, actually, the fan zone um, and the athlete zone is going to be in Saint-Denis. So um, people will find themselves in those less trodden areas and it will be interesting to see uh, what visitors make of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm reading that a, a company called Dharma, an experimental travel company, uh, it organises global tours hosted by Instagrammers and reality stars, has been mm. given the green light by Netflix to start running Paris by Emily Holidays. Mm. Yeah, I saw that. I read about the same uh, thing. I mean, it's not only them. Even the Paris Tourist Board itself actually has an article on how you can visit all the Emily sites. Um, estate agents apparently are kind of cashing in on the. Uh, Americans who now, you know, are more interested in buying property in Paris. So, I mean, I think it's, this is what I'm saying, this tension between uh, being annoyed at tourists, but also it's huge for the economy. And I think, you know, people see it as as a huge opportunity to have millions of people thinking about Paris in that way. Um, I did see that the tour was, I think, at least five days. And I was wondering what they were going to do for all that time, because once you've put on your red beret and seen the locations, I, I wonder how else... You can be Emily, mm. um, but yeah. Yeah, and the the price per person uh, in Sterling, uh, 2,155, uh, and you'll be sharing a room. You have to right. pay a bit extra if you want a room on your own. Anyway, um, it's all commerce, I suppose. But uh, Hannah, thank you very much for talking to us about uh, Emily in Paris Tourism. Uh, Owen Corrie, editor of Air and Travel Magazine and Travel Extra, is on the line. Uh, Owen, good morning. Good morning, Pat. Yes, and Saint Denis is where also the boxing will be taking place. A lot of Irish uh, fans uh, heading for the Olympics. It's going to a lot of our focus will be on those boxing venues. Yeah. Uh, so uh, over tourism, I mean, 
Recently, uh, last year I was in Venice and I mean, it was off season, best time to go, but it was so densely packed, uh, you know, walking through the narrow passageways uh, where all the shops are and where people live and so on, very packed and um, queues for every main attraction. There are places in the world that are really oversubscribed. There are, but there aren't that many of them. I'm always astonished uh, that when this debate started getting a little bit of wind behind it about 10 years ago, um, it, Venice was where a lot, uh, there's a big concentration on Venice. There's a slogan, Venice is not Disneyland. It's chanted by the protesters and it oddly enough starts showing up in graffiti as well. Uh, big focus on Barcelona, big fro- focus on Dubrovnik. Not many other uh, parts of Europe have had an over-tourism debate but it tends to pop up every time there's a debate in countries, as every country in Europe shares problems with housing, with um, depopulation of the inner city as sort of a donut effect, all of those things. And over-tourism gets mentioned a lot, but there aren't a lot of places that are actually suffering from it. Yeah. Uh, one text here. Uh, we'll take Emily if Paris doesn't want her. Emily and Tume. The crew can paint and clean up all they want. She, they do have a really good point. There are five counties in Ireland get more than a million visitors a year. Uh, basically, Dublin, Galway, Cork, Kerry and Antrim. Uh, I think if Emily showed up in Longford to do her tourism special, there wouldn't be anybody putting up graffiti. Yeah. Um, so this problem, though, of uh, over tourism, uh, you know, when you see the queues trying to get up Mount Everest, you think the world's gone mad. There is a vulnerable. That's a, there's a separate argument, and that is where places are vulnerable. You see it uh, this year. Antarctica. The number of people going to Antarctica every year used to be about uh, fifty thousand a year. I think you, you were doing another radio show when I did my specials from Antarctica a few years ago, and that is going to go past a hundred thousand this year. You hear it uh, talked about particularly with safari, with bush locations, natural locations which are fragile. We saw. Um, um, you, you, the debate is there with Machu Picchu in Peru as well. Uh, the protests in Machu Picchu weren't related to that. But when you have a, a fragile environment with uh, even a smaller number of people coming, that it becomes uh, a debate of what is over-tourism. Uh, for Venice, it's one thing. For a very uh, for a fragile bush mm. savanna location, it's something quite else. Even a couple of hundred people can drive it over uh, what is safe and what is acceptable. Yeah. I, I suppose with the advent of the latest VR, virtual reality technologies, there is another way of immersive experiences without actually going there, without the queues, without the, the, the long haul flights and so on. You can actually experience it. No, I know it's not quite the same as being there, the smells and all the rest of it. And uh, some of the hardships involved are part of the whole experience. But still, um, you might just stay your hand rather than despoil an area and just enjoy it through virtual reality. Yeah, it, it became a big thing, obviously, during the pandemic. Uh, they can recreate the smells. They can recreate almost everything. Where virtual is going to save uh, fragile um, fragile exhibits or fragile parts uh, is places like Lascaux, uh, the 
cave with the uh, the uh, paintings of the hor- horses by uh, the cavemen from mm-hmm. thousands and tens of thousands of years ago. They built a replica Lusco next door because bringing people in and out affects the humidity. Best example of that close to home is Newgrange. Um, really, they have to limit, the, quite clear in the 90s, they had to limit the number of people getting into the actual passage grave. They've rebuilt uh, the passage grave and it got a big refurb. If you haven't been, if listeners haven't been in the last few years, it got a real good refurb uh, during the pandemic and we saw uh, uh, in uh, Marseille where uh, an underwater cave where divers, three divers had dived trying to get in to watch, to look at the prehistoric paintings has been completely recreated on land. So virtual is great. We haven't found that people like to sit back in their home in Kansas and climb a current tool with a headset that Mm. really hasn't worked. But where it is working uh, to uh, prevent damage for by tourism is where uh, a replica an exact replica close to the site or near the site can be built yeah. to pre- to protect yeah. the real and in thing. fact it was uh, Stonehenge I think was probably the first place uh, to do uh, that kind of thing so you don't get to the real Stonehenge anymore you get to the artificial one which looks kind of the same anyway Owen look thank you very much for joining us that's uh, uh, travel journalist Owen Corey The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance weekdays at 9am on News Talk.